This week on the Erotic Awakening Podcast, erotic humiliation, polyamory mantras, and gratitude. BDSM and non-standard relationships. Power exchange and polyamory. Sacred sexuality and fetishes. As well as simply fun Fun kink. kink. (laughs) You'll find shows on all these topics and all things Dan and Dawn at (laughs) eroticawakening.com. We enjoy creating and recording these podcasts, and we hope you enjoy listening to them. When you become our patron, it gives us a chance to apply more energy towards creating. For as little as a dollar a month, you can not only support the podcast, but get access to special content. Head over to patreon.com erotic awakening to take a look at the options. And regardless, thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you're offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dawn. Your voice went all funny. You're like radio personality. Hi, Don. It's a <laughs> wacky day here in Columbus, Ohio. We should do it like that sometime. <laughs> do the uh, the morning zoo sort of. <laughs> that, that would be funny. <laughs> that would be. Uh, you know, what would be funny is if we get one of the places we get booked to present and we did all of our presenting in that kind of language. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> be funny in a unless you were the event producer, then you right. may not enjoy that so right. much. <laughs> so, hi, Don. Hi. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about erotic humiliation with mm. the infamous Kali. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we get there, though, we are going to talk about developing a personal polyamory mantra. Ooh. So, Don, a mantra, as you may or may not know, is a statement or slogan frequently repeated. Mm, I agree with that. So, so what is a polyamory mantra? I guess, is it, I know what it is. Is it communicate, communicate, communicate? <laughs> that is a mantra a lot of poly people use mm-hmm. when they're teaching people different tools. But um, I think it can be something even more than that because I have my own mantra. I didn't set out to have a mantra. It just kind of happened by accident when I was going through um some challenging times and um well before you tell us what your mantra is okay what is the purpose of having a polyamory mantra you said something about challenging times yeah so for me my mantra was about grounding me and um anchoring me from a trigger okay so um so being most people know what a trigger is um, and I'm not talking uh, a trigger as in feeling uncomfortable. I'm talking trigger as in emotionally out of control and not sure how to bring yourself back into alignment. Okay. So out of control, right? Mm-hmm. And um, just trying to talk myself through one of those moments, which I've had a few of, and um, trying to ground myself and, and get back into logic mode so that the emotions can be under control. Because when you're driving... You really don't want to be out of control emotionally. Weird things can happen, right? So, um, so I was, yeah, talking myself through it. And so I didn't purposefully go out and try to set a mantra. Mm-hmm. What I did was it just kind of happened as a tool. It started out as this long paragraph of me talking to myself, telling myself that things were okay. And then slowly getting it shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until it became three words. And now I can use those three words, you know, if I ever got triggered like that again, or if something challenging happened or something new happens, or I feel whatever, then I can use those three words 
and it actually kind of grounds me and, and brings me back into focus. So are the three words some uh, Pali language, like Om Mari Hari Pali Mari Mari Pari Mara? Pali as in P-A-L-I, yes. Buddhist language, <laughs> not P-O-L-Y well as said. in many loves. Okay. Yes. Like, so there's the Om Mari Pari Hum, yep, Om Mari Pari Hum. Uh, so is it a mantra like that with, with of the, the language Pali? No. So mine is not. It could be. Whatever grounds you, whatever speaks to you, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you in training as a monk, that might work for you if you know the meaning behind it and mm -hmm. that, you know, or if it just sounds soothing or whatever. Mine is um, just three basic words and it's love, trust, faith. So the whole paragraph was me talking to myself going, you know what? I know Dan loves me. You know, regardless that he's dating somebody new, regardless that I'm finding this challenging, regardless that I don't understand, regardless of how I feel, and I know all these emotions are not truly what is going on. They're based on something from the past or, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. They're not based on reality, these emotions. They're based on a different story or whatever story I'm telling myself. So what is reality? And reality is Dan loves me right? You love me. I have no doubt about that. Okay. Trust. I absolutely trust you. You have shown me time and time and time and time again that you're trustworthy. And if you do something that steps on my toes mm -hmm. or whatever, or, or anything, you are the type of man that will own it and do your best to fix it okay. sort of thing. You have no intent of harming me. So therefore, I can trust the actions that you take. So love, trust, faith. You know, faith is a step beyond trust. Faith is just this all-knowing thing that I know things are going to work out between us. I have faith in you. I have faith in us. I have faith in what we've created. You know, I just have faith in what's going on. So love, trust, faith. So in, instead of having to say all that, mm -hmm. you condensed it down to just those three words, and that right. became your your mantra. And is it this, as it, as in our earlier definition, it's just something you just would repeat frequently mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love, trust, faith, and it would calm me right down. So, um, and and basically, it's like an anchor, mm -hmm. and it's the whole story that I recreated but condensed into three words so I don't have to retell myself the story and go through that whole thing each and every time. So for our polyamory-inclined listeners, then, is their poly mantra, love, trust, faith? Mm -mm. No, their mantra is whatever works for them, right? Okay. So, you know, I know in uh, um, some of the workshops that we do where we talk about poly tools and we talk about the poly mantra, We'll go around and we'll ask people, so what do you absolutely know about your partner? You know, what do you know about your partner? Mm -hmm. Is Do they absolutely love you? And is that important to you, right? They could absolutely love you, but if that's not important to you, then it's not going to be part of your mantra. Right. Right? So you want words that you know is absolutely true and are important to you, and that will ground you through those challenging moments. So you would find your own words to reflect your relationship mm -hmm. and how you, you know, what you believe to be a fact about your partner so you can come back to that as your foundation. Right. Maybe it's strength, honor, and I don't know, something else, mm -hmm. right? Uh, love, strength, hell, I don't know. Right. So, but, but we wouldn't know, right? Because it's right. your relationship. Right. 
So have you developed a mantra? Uh, I have developed a mantra. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah. Uh, my mantra is a podcast mantra. It's contact us, contact us. Contact form on the webpage, eroticawakening.com. There you'll find other ways to contact us, ways to say thank you, where we will be presenting past podcast episodes, LinkedIn and newsletter, and other stuff. You can also follow us on FetLife. So find us as the owners of the group, Erotic Awakening, two words. And we do answer our Fet mails. So, Don, not a lot of uh, activity to talk about on the podcast today. We have a wonderful interview coming up. The only other item that I've got, uh, I do want to mention that the 50 Totally Doable Sex Tips, mm -hmm. I did not print out three more of them. On a upcoming show, we are going to knock out the last 15 all Ooh, in one big show. I like that idea. Good. So, but, you know, we do Because I'm ready to move on to another <laughs> list. That list is not my favorite list that we've covered on the podcast. No, but there were some good stuff. The Mutual Masturbation was a good one. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, the kissing for The kissing. Whatever. You know what? Yeah. I, I wish I'd stopped after that one because I really like that one. Yeah. So, I do want to mention, though, that we do have PXS coming up. Power Exchange Summit. So, it's Two weeks away? Three th weeks? Three Three, just a little <laughs> less, just a little less than three. So, you know, a lot of the major work happens right now on my right. major part. So the, the hotel visits and getting all the layout straight and yep. VIP dinner straight and all the presenters are ready to go and excited. And we've got some vendors and, oh my God, the auction table. There is so much stuff for the auction table. It's amazing. So if you are into lingerie or rubber or, oh my God, just... I don't know. So much stuff. <laughs> so we had a lot of it donated from um, a listener in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got to see her at LLC. So got to see her at LLC. Uh, she hangs out with K&K. &K. Oh, right on, right yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. So awesome, awesome stuff. Good deal. I'm going to try to get with Bad Dragon again, too. We'll see. If you were, you know, if you listen to the podcast because you're a fan of the Power Exchange and the Power Exchange relationship that Dawn and I share, Power Exchange Summit is the event that we created to extend our relationship and try and share as much as we can and from different viewpoints throughout an entire weekend. And we hope you'll join us. Mm -hmm. And we bring out presenters that live the lifestyle mm -hmm. and, and share the way they do it, which could be different than the way we do it. Well, a lot of <laughs> them are different than the way we do it. That's why we bring them in. Absolutely. Uh, we only have one new subscriber to the newsletter. We do. Sassy 5.0 from California. And the other thing that before we get into our interview that I want oh. to mention that Oh, you have something else. I have something else I forgot to add to the notes. What's that? Ohio Hedgehog has been rocking with the tentacle links. So uh, uh, what happened to the rest of you guys? <laughs> there used to be a, a few of you that sent me stuff all the time, and now I don't I don't get any you're, you're, anymore. But Ohio Hedgehog's Well, now Chip the up. Tentacle Guy did offer to let us stop by and, and actually visit with him when we were that near him. That is true. Atlanta. Oh, my gosh. That would have been so cool. You know why? Because this right here... On this blanket, uh -huh. that's from him, right? That T-shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the blanket that we have on the table, for you guys that watch the video um, podcast, there's a, um, a quilt on the table that um, uh, Bat had made us. Mm -hmm. And there are tentacles sewn out of a brown T-shirt on this quilt, and they're from Chip the Tentacle Guy. So it's kind of neat. We had listeners contribute to this yeah, quilt, and absolutely. that's why we put it on the cool table. Stuff. Yep. And uh, speaking of the video podcast, we will get back to that. It is um, a little challenging. It adds a level of complexity, but 
Uh, Beric recently uh, bought us some new video software, video editing software. Oh, nice. Now I just got to get him to teach me how to use it. Right. And then we'll go back to having these posted out to the YouTube and the Patreon channel and all that kind of good well, stuff. Well, I wanted to video yesterday, but I was super tired and I had motorcycle helmet hair. <laughs> So, no helmet hair when yes. we video record, please. Not an issue for me. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I wanted to say before we get into our interview is, um, so lately, about a month and a half ago, about two months ago-ish, I found out I was getting laid off from my job. Right. And we put a little more emphasis on the idea of Patreon and trying to get away from advertisers on the podcast and mm -hmm. um, we never expect the podcast to be a, a money maker or a something we monetize and but we also want to be able to say thank you to people that do as we mentioned in the beginning right it allows us more energy to be creative than right. if we're focused on geez how am I going to pay for dog food um, the short story of all this is that I had to be reminded that we are best served by giving away the podcast for free and letting our listeners practice the concept of Donna or generosity. Mm -hmm. And the reason this story comes up is not only do we have some wonderfully generous people on our Patreon, um, oh, and yeah. whether it's whether you're donating a dollar or twenty five dollars, it's all uh, just that all of it helps, and it all of it, it not only helps from a purely financial perspective that if we decide you know when I replace this camera that we do our video podcast, it's not going to hurt us financially, but also from an energetic perspective, it's a great way. It's just a way to, that people can say thank you. So in the pagan world, we call it an exchange of energy. Mm. We give a lot of energy to this. And sometimes the way of getting energy back is through green. Sure. And you so, guys, and you listeners hard. give hard. a lot of energy into what you do to create money, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's at your job or hustling in Las Vegas, <laughs> anybody can do that. Or, or the, the, the Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Um, and you exchange that energy with us via your Patreon or, and here's where this actually came oh, okay. from, is we have uh, another thing on our website, which uh, somebody told me about and I slapped it out there and I totally forgot about it. And it's, um, it's coffee, only it's spelled funny, coffee, okay. oh. right? <laughs> and what it does is it gives you an opportunity to buy us a cup of coffee. So you just click the little link and it says, boy, you know, if you want to buy Dan and Don a cup of coffee for $3, press this button. And we're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And mm -hmm. I logged in the account the other day and I saw somebody bought us a cup of coffee. I said, well, isn't that nice? Because I like coffee. Mm -hmm. And then I see that um, as I was looking at it, somebody bought us a hundred cups of coffee. So Nick from Seattle went on there, bought us a hundred cups of coffee. He said, I just want to say thank you for the things you guys have been doing. And I'm looking forward to episode 500. Nice. Yeah. So this Isn't is for, sweet? yeah, it is. This is episode 452. And we're going to, you know what? That, that's fantastic. And all of our, everybody who's not only just, and I'm not saying just financial thank yous are the only important ones. And it's not all the people that take time and energy to say thank you via email or come up to us somewhere and say, hey, I, you know, this thing that you shared was valuable or the feedback that we get from people, it's all valuable. And Absolutely. It, all that, that 
the purpose being, I want to remember that the reason we we do this is because people did it for us when we got started, right? Mm -hmm. And for us to continue to be to freely give as we can. And um, uh, Nick from Seattle buying us that hundred cups of coffee was a good reminder to me that says, you know, what, be careful of how much. Um, energy and focus and you're know, in the podcast group where they go, oh, you monetize, monetize, monetize. So now, you know, this is not a, for us. This is not our living. We're not professional podcasters. We are kinksters who found a home and we want to help other people find a home. And we have the gift of gab. <laughs> no shit we about that. We can talk. <laughs> no shit about that. So for everybody that supported us, however you supported us, whether it's buying Kingstarter cards or using those links that we used to have on commercials or just spending a moment tossing us an email saying thank you or telling a friend or buying us 300 cups of coffee. <laughs> very much appreciate and very grateful for all the support that we've gotten from all of our listeners throughout the years. Absolutely. So, yum. So, um, with that bit of goodness, let's talk about erotic humiliation. Let's do it. Oh yeah, I founded and created Kink Academy, and uh, this is the um, 10th year, I believe, um, that it's been live, the original BDSM video uh, educational website, so I'm very proud of kinkacademy.com. I'm glad that uh, we had you join us on the in the early years. <laughs> you know, as someone who... Um, took femdom photos for over a decade. I know exactly how photo documentation can, can change and morph over the years. So moving on. Well, I'd say humiliation is uh, the experience you have when your boss yells at you in front of your colleagues. And erotic humiliation is consensual experiences designed to create arousal either during or after the scene. <laughs> Again, a thing or two, Don, a thing or two. The first exposure that I ever had to humiliation, um, erotic humiliation scene when I saw a class that Femdar and her partner at the time was teaching. And I would say that my approach, um, th th their approach set set the farthest limits of a boundary for me in the sense that I saw what um, an extreme example could look at, could look like, but then over the course of the last 15 years have realized that really the much, much, much more popular and frequent experience of erotic humiliation, even up to erotic degradation, tends to focus quite a bit more on um on taboos, um, I talk quite a bit in my book and in my classes about how you can't have erotic humiliation without cultural context. And so it is about confronting taboos and that each person's taboo is going to be very different and very personal and unique. But it's not necessarily about running and jumping off of the cliff of those taboos. I talk a lot about ramping up rather than diving in. Because the the kind of teasing, the kind of um, erotic humiliation that I think you're talking about really leans more towards sensual teasing and then anything up to the much kind of more intense experience of degradation, but that doesn't necessarily have to include things like, you know, Roman showers and cannibalism, the way that Femcar used to explore. No, definitely not. I, um, 
you know, hum erotic humiliation is basically tap dancing on psychological landmines. And whereas there are a lot of people, uh, there are a lot more people who are interested in this play than I think are comfortable with this play. Um, it's important to start slower and get to know each other because when you are pushing emotional soft spots, and of course that's part of the attraction of the play, you want to make sure that you don't go so far that it's impossible to come back from. Well, that's part of why it is tough to do pickup play because um, it's easy to want to be dramatic and you just don't ever know what words are sensitive and what aren't. You know, I use, I love to use the word slut as an excellent example of erotic humiliation because it takes the larger cultural context that a slut is supposedly bad. And yet it adds this element of celebration and encouragement. And that is what makes it different from, you know, someone abusively calling though, right? Like the words themselves don't have um, the meaning that we kinky folk are putting behind it. It's the juxtaposition of cruelty and affection that, that makes it so interesting. But in my first, uh, one of my first ever scenes that I did, I had a woman that I was dominating for, for a femdom video. And she said, um, she said, you can call me a cum dumpster. You can call me a street walking skank. But if you call me a slut, I will I will probably punch you because it is a really bad trigger word for me. So it really goes to show how personal nuance is everything. And so if you don't have any personal, you know, personal insight, then it's going to be pretty tough to do this in a successful way. First of all, start smaller and get specific. I personally despise um, the generic, you know, question. So what are you into? Or, um, you know, I'm into humiliation because neither of those questions or responses gives any really useful information. So one of my favorite questions to ask in a negotiation is um, what's the most humiliating thing that you have masturbated to? Because it gives something that is very specific. It um, also adds some delicious ammo for the humiliation itself. Having to fess up to masturbating, you know, during these thoughts is a delightful pregame. <laughs> um, and it, it brings it into a doable list of things. You know, most perverts that I know, um, it, it, it would take less time for the, them to tell me what they're not into. And so rather than trying to get some really long list that then I got to decipher what I'm going to do, I'm able to drill down with a much more interesting and personal question. Yes, definitely. Although that does lead me to one of my other just general negotiation questions, which is to always ask three times. I become a bit childlike during negotiations when, you know, when somebody says, oh, I'm into this thing. I never leave it at that. And I go, why? Um, and in fact, in the same way that when someone shares their, you know, supposedly filthiest fantasy, it's rare for someone to, to give you the good stuff the first time around. And so to make space to say, OK, but but is that all?
And then inevitably they kind of reveal a little bit more. And so if you, if you do that within one single negotiation sitting, that can be very effective and it is exponentially more effective when you're doing it over a long term, get, getting to know someone's psychological profile so that you can then consensually turn it against them. Absolutely. I think that having a, um, an open mind to the to the words and understanding that that um, being open minded in a conversation doesn't commit you to an action uh, after the fact is critical in all kink negotiation. But definitely when it comes to what tends to be exceptionally personal and deep rooted um, interests and desires in under the uh, humiliation degradation umbrella. Definitely, and not just for the submissive. I'm a strong advocate of aftercare for everyone involved in the scene. I've been so glad to see dominant aftercare become a bit more of the conversation in the kink world um, the last few years. I have started teaching a class on it specifically because I think that um, while, yes, submissives are are also delving deep into their own psychology and into these taboo and sometimes challenging experiences, it's important not to forget that dominants are doing that as well and, in fact, are the grand orchestrators of these taboos. And so aftercare is an important thing to think of for both partners. But even, in my opinion, even more than aftercare, um, is something that I call a trigger plan because a trigger plan is for when things go wrong and aftercare is for when things go right. And those two experiences are likely to have very different needs, particularly within a psychological uh, torment sort of scene. And so having a trigger plan, again, for both the dominant and submissive is really important when you're when you're doing this sort of intense play. Absolutely. You know, I... I think that kink is mostly psychological and that all of the, um, you know, physical actions are just really an attempt to manifest the emotional um, mindset. But but obviously, that's even more so the case with um, humiliation play and with these very specifically psychologically driven scenes. And you just want to make sure that... Um, you know, that you're you're preparing for, for if things go wrong. Because I, I do believe that when you play on the edge, it's not a matter of, of if it'll go wrong, it's when. And it's it's not a failure on your part, It's but it is better to be prepared. Absolutely. And that's why I think, too, it's important to come, to come at it from a ramping up sort of perspective. Because, um, you know, most folks, even experienced kinky folks, haven't necessarily consciously gone into this kind of play before. And so you just don't necessarily know where boundaries are. And frankly, boundaries shift and are fluid. And particularly when it comes to emotional triggers, what you might feel completely fine with one day would be um, an absolute travesty the, the next, you know, 24 hours later. And so that's where you want to come to it as a, as an adventurer and with understanding that you can always add intensity, but it is very hard to take it away. So first, I would just like to say I, I adore Femcar and have a profound respect for her, but I don't think that Femcar should be a, a kind of standard measuring stick for, for practically anything because I think one of Femcar's strongest kink is extreme, it, it, it is like being extreme, you know, like ex, 
And so, um, so no, I would say that for some folks, they need to build themselves up and that that is a fully legitimate approach to aftercare. But um, the, the most important thing about figuring out what kind of aftercare you need, and this is true for, for any kink play, um, is to is to look at what is going to help you um, feel to make sure that you feel 100% positive coming out the other side, because that's what, that's one of the the strongest differences I think between psychological play and perhaps other forms of kink play is that you are trying to plumb the depths to a certain degree. Now, now some people prefer playing in the shallower side of the pool and that's, that's not, um, I don't mean shallow in a negative way, but just in like a, you, you're not trying to, um, you know, flush somebody's face in the toilet, for example. Like, um, you know, somebody who enjoys being teased for being aroused is probably going to have slightly different aftercare needs than somebody who was stomped on in the mud after a rainstorm outside. Right. And so, um you know, one of the things that I recommend um, in uh, I have a workbook that goes along with my book that that where you really lay out what your aftercare needs are. Do you need to shift into vanilla space? Do you need to have somebody tell you, you know, how amazing you are? And again, that's true for dominance as well. It can be it can be very confronting to to create the kind of fantasies in real life that. Uh, that humiliation fetishists and humiliation lovers have. And so it's important that as a dominant, it's okay for you to need to be told that you're a good person, that you, um, that you, you created this because your partner wanted it, you know? And so I think reinforcing for both partners that it was a positive experience that everyone came out the other side being glad they did it should somehow Whatever is unique to you, be part of the aftercare. Well, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I, when I wrote my book, I did a survey um, because it's so because humiliation is so personal. I wanted to make sure to provide other perspectives than just my own. And um, one of the common um, stereotypes that is out there about tops and dominants who enjoy this kind of play is that we're bullies and that we like to make other people feel bad about themselves and that somehow there's some sort of joy out of out of being mean and and that that's a bad thing and i i'd like to say i I find that particularly ironic from other kinky folk who don't seem to think that you know whipping someone until they bleed is all that mean but you know tomato tomato um but what was I talking about? <laughs> um, oh, that's right. What do we get out of it? I think that um, what we get out of it is just the same as any other kinky activity. Uh, it is a personal motivation. For some people, it might be confronting the, the taboos that we're told not to behave that way. For me personally, I have an absurdity fetish. And so I love laughing and I love and deep and have a deep gratitude for people who will sacrifice their dignity for my amusement for it's like um it's like a court jester right but for me there is a there's an element of entertainment aspect of it um that i find truly joyous but like any kink experience the motivations are going to be different i think the most important thing is 
as a top, making sure that your motivation is powered by, again, this sense that everyone will come out on the other side feeling glad that they had that kind of experience. Enough to make you blush, exploring erotic humiliation. You can find it at the website of the same name, enough to make you blush.com, as well as on Amazon and Kindle and paperback form. And you can also see me on kinkacademy.com, as well as Dan and Dawn, and a ton of your other favorite kink educators, activists, and uh, smart people. Supporting the podcast, toss us a dollar by heading over to eroticawakening.com and click on the support us on Patreon button. Our end music is provided by Pocket Universe and the song is Whim. The official EA Twatter is Andy. The person we've seen most recently is Sheen and Shayla from LLC. Which I haven't I think updated there's been more. Notes. That's why I was yes. waiting for you to pop in. It is <laughs> too beautiful women whose name eludes me at the moment. Oh no. Nope, not good enough. St- okay. uh, stalled, I'm stalled. Stall? Okay, I'm stalling. So, the end of music is provided by Wim. That's not from, stalling. From Canada, right? Oh, we've met good. them, and we've been using their music for a very long time. The person we've seen most Ooh. recently is Stubborn Brat and Dawn. Nice. <laughs> the current sender of tentacles is still... Ohio Hedgehog. The provider of graphic novels is Johnny Jackhammer and Good Witch of the North of the Sequential Sex Podcast. And the official food that goes on boobs is still an orange boobs. Bye, dog. Bye, dog.